Mitch Hanniger's slow start at the plate for the San Francisco Giants. It's time and time again been costly. He has not come through in some big situations. This is a guy that they committed quite a bit of money to and expect to be a key player for them. So what's behind his struggles and why do I believe that he is quickly or at least eventually going to break out of it? You are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and on this show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts, including YouTube, by the way, so check us out there if you have not already, and please hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. Also, download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code Locked on MLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And coming up on today's show, it's a mailbag edition of the show, and we've got a lot to get to. And the first question is about Mitch Hanniger, and it comes from JT, who says, What do the analytics show Hanniger is doing or not doing that is fueling this slump he is in? And so, J- I think it was JT who accused me of... Uh, of ignoring i'm forgetting the exact word but uh basically intentionally not answering this question but a lot of it was because sometimes it's just hard to to give an answer as to why a guy is struggling and i i did answer when i was accused of not answering i i went on twitter and i kind of tweeted out some things about uh about this. And what I did was I, I compared Mitch Hanniger's numbers to Manny Machado's numbers, and they're virtually identical. Machado's had much, they're, they're both hitting in the 220s. Uh, they both have on base percentages between 260 and 275. Machado a little bit higher. Uh, uh, Hanniger at 260, Machado at 275, but Hanniger's slugging is 371, and Machado's was only three. Uh, 53. So overall, the offensive package is they're both, they've both been about 30% below average offensively. And Machado's done this in like an extra 50 plate appearances. So imagine if this level of poor performance continues for another 50 plate appearances. And by the way, this was the numbers as of June 4th for Machado. He played yesterday. I think he did all right. So the numbers are a little bit different now. But I, I mentioned Machado there just to illustrate that this is. The kind, this is a kind of thing that just happens in baseball. Look at, go look at Carlos Correa's numbers. Look at Sandy Alcantara, who won the Cy Young Award last year. And now, you know, his ERA is like in the fives. And so it's, baseball is just kind of a crazy game in that way, in that it's, it's such a difficult game. I think that's kind of the number one explanation in that. Even the very best players like Machado and Alcantara can just go through prolonged periods of really struggling. And also, though, 
a couple things I wanted to point out was that prior to, okay, so I could look, but when I tweeted this out two days ago, I mentioned that prior to that day's game, which was another like 0 for 4 for Handiger, over his previous whatever number of games, but 52 plate appearances, he had actually turned it around. And if you look at the numbers, he was hitting 292 with a 346 on base and a 479 slugging, which was a 127 weighted runs created plus. And so that's the other thing about baseball is that if you're a guy like Hanniger who has a track record like he does, I think in any given moment, you kind of just expect that instead of he's going to be what he's been so far this year, which is that he's struggled. I think in any given game and any given at bat, you kind of just anticipate, at least I do. I think that, you know, the smart people working in front offices think this way too, that in any given moment, and that's why, you know, people give me lineup questions like why is Hanniger hitting fifth or sixth or whatever when he's struggling so much is because in any given moment, they just expect him to be Mitch Hanniger, which is a well above average offensive player. And so I haven't exactly answered your question yet, which is what's like the analytics behind it. One thing to point out here is that unlike Machado, whose expected numbers are kind of in line with his actual numbers, Mitch Hanniger, there's a number, there's a, a metric called weighted on base average it's not that complicated, but it maybe sounds complicated if you're not familiar with it. But basically, it's an all-encompassing offensive metric. It's correctly weighting all the different offensive outcomes, like what is the proper weight we should give to a single versus a double versus a triple versus a homer versus a walk versus an out, etc. And it's scaled so that the average weighted on base average is the uh, average on base percentage for that season. And so for, you know, right now the average on base percentage I think is, you know, it's typically in like the 315 320 range. And so for Hanniger, his actual weighted on base average is 273, which is obviously well below average. If I'm saying average is about 315 or so. But the expected weighted on base average and this is based on Statcast stuff, like it just judges like how you're hitting the ball, you know, when we see, when we say like the, that ball had an expected batting average of 890, which by the way, he had in his most recent game, or at least two, I think it was two games ago, he hit a ball to center field and Aaron Hicks made kind of a circus catch at the wall. And that ball had an expected average of 890 and the expected slugging I'm sure was off the charts too, because it was hit so so well it went like basically 400 feet hit 104 miles an hour but it was caught and so anyway for Hanniger, the expected weighted on base average is 330 which is above average versus the actual weighted on base average of 273 so a 60 point gap there and so it's easy to say like oh it's all just about he's been unlucky and i think a lot of people frankly, like even like analytics people will say, that's it. He's just been unlucky. But if you're actually watching the games, which you are, I'm sure if you're asking this question, uh, and so many of you are watching these games where he's coming up in big situations, and it's not just like, oh, he's hitting, hitting rockets right at people. It's like, no, he's swinging and missing. He's chasing pitches out of the zone and then taking pitches in the zone. So I think he's just out of whack, like mentally and mechanically and 
Uh, it gets to you in your head. You want to make a good impression to to your new fans. He grew up a Giants fan. He's got you know a lot of probably friends and family here and rooting for him and watching him. And so it's just been a little bit of a grind. Uh, but like I said, I think moving forward, I just expect at any given moment that he's going to figure it out. And going to Coors Field right now is a good place to go where you know I think he's had I'm going to look at if you want the actual kind of more advanced numbers. He's hit he's hit well against fastballs this year. Against fastballs he's hit 314 with a 500 slugging. That's a weighted on base average of 363. And the expected weighted on base average there is even better at 408. So, he's had no problem with fastballs, but breaking balls which are you know, these days, the sweeper is a breaking ball, a slider, curveball, those are breaking balls. Uh, he's got a weighted on base average of 155, a, uh, in layman's terms, a 111 batting average and a 222 slugging. So very poor. And then off speed pitches, which are like change ups and splitters and stuff. Also a 111 batting average with a 167, uh, slugging. And he's seeing those two pitch types about half the time. And so basically, if you throw him a fastball and he puts it in play, he's probably going to do pretty well. But if you throw him a breaking ball, I mean, not even if he puts it in play, we're counting like strikeouts and walks as well in these numbers. Well, not in the average and the slugging, but the weighted on base average does count those. So anyway, he's having trouble with non-fastballs, like simply put. But what I'm seeing sometimes is that he's like, taking a fastball and chasing out of the zone on a breaking ball. But the overall numbers, like when I actually look at them, his kind of chase rate is in line with his career norms. His contact rates are kind of in line with his career norms. And so I don't know. He's just, I think Coors Field is a great place because breaking balls are, they don't work as well there. And so maybe he goes off in this series and the numbers start to normalize there. Anyway, that was kind of, a somewhat detailed answer and coming up in just a minute we're going to discuss Blake Sable's destiny because uh I mean it's very complicated this year and it uh we also wonder about what's his future in the organization in years to come so we'll get to that question in just a minute but before we do this episode is brought to you by Game Time Buying tickets to your favorite event shouldn't have to be so stressful. And for me, it always was before game time. I'm something that you may not know about me is that I'm a stickler for getting the best price. And I don't know about you, but like when you're buying tickets, do you ever wonder, am I like, first of all, last minute tickets, that's a thing. But also if you buy them in advance, you've got to think about, is this the, the right time to buy them or should I wait a little bit longer? And am I am I getting the best price? And that's something I always used to stress about. But now with game time, those issues are solved because with the lowest price guarantee, it means you'll always get the best price. Because if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you not just 100% of the difference, but 110% of the difference. So snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app Create an account and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. 
All right, as promised, Blake Sable's Destiny. We are going to discuss that um, because, man, it's it's a little bit complicated when we look at the current team, but also the asker of the question wants to know about his future beyond 2023 with the Giants. And so we'll get to that in just a minute. Thanks again for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day. Everydayers, tomorrow on the show, guess what? We'll be breaking down game one in Colorado with the Giants going with an opener. John Brebbia again against Denelson Lamette, right-handed pitcher. I expect some activations like Tyro Estrada, Jock Peterson, hopefully Michael Conforto can go. Uh, the Giants play the Rockies tonight at 540 Pacific, you can, and you can catch every pitch of the Giants' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app, Search Giants. So the next question comes from NDE, The Rock, who, who asks, what is Blake Sable's destiny? He's not a good defensive catcher. Is he a DH to replace Jock next year? And so, yeah, like, him being a catcher, I thought, and still kind of think, is an important part of his future with the team because they don't really have a spot in the outfield when you consider they've got Hanniger, they've got Conforto, they've got Yastrzemski, they've got Slater, they've got Luis Matos tearing it up in AAA. And so, like, where is that opening going to come from? And if you want to say, like, I'm getting Tommy LaStella vibes, not that anyone's done this yet, but like, they're not, I don't think they're just going to cut Mitch Hanniger based on two months of a rough start. And so I expect him to turn it around. So if you've got Hanniger performing, Conforto con, uh, performing, and Slater and Yastrzemski, who have done well in their roles this year performing, then there's not really an outfield spot for Sable. And you mentioned DH, but for now... For 2023, Jock Peterson is that DH. And so the only way Sable really fits when the roster is fully healthy is if he is that secondary catcher or, you know, maybe a mix of a, of, of a secondary or tertiary catcher, perhaps also able to kind of give guys days off like Peterson and Hanniger and Conforto or whoever. And so my understanding from reports that I've heard is that they fully intend to keep Blake Sable this season and they want to get past that rule five status. And the, the way that works is he would have to be on the major league roster all season. And if they're able to successfully do that, then, then the rule five status goes away and he's just a player who they have in their organization and all the normal rules apply, like having three minor league option years. And so they could, always send him down if there was too much of a roster crunch or if he was struggling or whatever. But right now they can't do that. He has to be on the team. And so when you say he's a, you just, what did you say? He's not a good defensive catcher. I, it's certain in certain areas. I definitely agree, but uh, maybe they believe that those areas. And I mean, it's hard to learn on the fly, you know, he's caught in the past, but at the major league level, it's tough. You know, these pitchers are throwing nasty pitches. And the number one thing I've seen that's been a struggle has been like the blocking and and or the pass balls, which is kind of a blocking issue as well. But just 
not getting the glove in the right position, like maybe anticipating it's not going to move quite as much as it does, and then balls getting by him and allowing runners to advance. That's the number one issue that I've seen. But framing-wise, I think he's actually been good and has you know the numbers back it up if you look at the baseball savant kind of framing numbers i believe that he has graded out well as a framer and that is really important it may be the most important thing that a catcher does actually because the count is so so critically important like the ball strike count and so if you're able to steal strikes or keep strikes strikes and not called balls it's super valuable and the occasional pass ball is arguably less important actually and it may that may may sound counterintuitive but you know there's data to back this up because with framing it's like every single pitch and so you can really make an influence because you can do it like dozens of times a game whereas you might get one pass ball in a game and sometimes it hurts you sometimes it doesn't but Anyway, so I think they, like Kapler said at the beginning of the year, that for Sable to stick on our roster, he has to prove to be a capable defensive catcher. Like he said that. And I think it probably still applies when all, especially with all these guys coming back, especially with Matos doing what he's doing in AAA. So therefore he could be like, it's already a crowded outfield and you may try to squeeze Matos in there somehow and where does that leave Sable? So getting to your question about his destiny and next year, a DH to replace Jock, I'm not quite so confident in his um, hitting yet. I mean, Jock Peterson is like an impact bat and Sable has definitely shown, he's definitely impressed me offensively. And it is kind of like he's done well against righties, not done well against lefties. So it is looking like more of a platoon situation but that's obviously also the case with jack peterson but i think that's a big risk and you'd probably rather just maybe bring back jack peterson for a couple more years two or three more years depending on how the rest of this season goes and maybe they just want sable to continue to work on that catching and what's so int- where where it's really we're going to find something out here when joey bart is ready to come back because is Joey Bart going to come back and are they going to like send out Patrick Bailey uh, or are they going to try to squeeze Bart and Bailey and Sable all onto the roster together? Where does that leave Sable? Where does the playing time come from when you've got two other catchers on the roster? But I would not say with any kind of confidence that they just are going to have Sable be the DH next year because you better hit if you're the DH and overall Sable's offensive numbers are solid but they're not spectacular spectacular but he's shown improvement he's really hit righty so I think we need we need the rest of the season for this to become more clear and I think it will by by the end by the time the end of September and hopefully deep into October comes around we'll have a lot more answers on this one. So coming up in just a minute, we're going to talk about, speaking of Luis Matos, how did he improve so much? Because last year was such a down year and this year has been a complete turnaround. So what is behind the turnaround and why does it leave him on the cusp of the major leagues? We'll get into it in just a minute. But before we do, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I spend, I, you know, 
mental health is not something that I want to address sometimes. And especially to be perfectly honest with you, uh, if you have a traumatic event in your life or I mean, whether or not you do, whether it was in childhood or whether it was recent, I, I'll be honest, I had a traumatic medical event that happened to me uh, several years ago now, but trying to like deal with that on my own just frankly didn't work and was absolutely the wrong thing to do. And what I needed to do was seek out help. And that has made a tremendous difference for me to be able to talk to somebody who, uh, a therapist really, who is able to help me work through the issues associated with that. And so if you're thinking of starting therapy for whatever reason, it doesn't have to be a traumatic event. event. It, life is traumatic and a traumatic event a lot of the times, a lot of the time. And so uh, just the stresses of everyday life, COVID, whatever it is, whatever it is, if you're thinking of starting therapy, which you should probably, I would say, give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnMLB today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash LockedOnMLB. All right, as promised, we are going to discuss what is behind the turnaround for Luis Matos, who had such a down year last year in whatever, uh, high A, right? We're going to look, we'll dig deep into the numbers in just a second. Uh, and yet he turned it around and now he finds himself tearing it up in AAA. And so we'll get into that in, in just a second. Thanks again for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day. Every day is tomorrow breaking down game one of this series in Colorado. First time Giants have been to Denver this season. Always a great place to hit. Not a great place to pitch, but the Giants are better than the Rockies, and this is just a series you need to take advantage and blast past that 500 mark and don't struggle. I mean, you can't, you just, you got to take care of the teams you're supposed to take care of, and it starts tonight. The Giants play the Rockies at 540 Pacific, and you can catch every pitch of the Giants' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app, Search Giants. So Luis Matos is quite the story, and he finds himself in AAA where he's been about 40% better than league average there, and he's 21 years old. Uh, he just turned 21 in late January, and so very young for the level, and he's hitting 397 with a 434 on base and 551 slugging. He's got four steals. He's been caught one time, but... Yeah, so in high A last year, high A, so there's high A, double A, and then triple A. There's also low A, but okay, the full story to back up even further. In 2021, the Giants' magical regular season of 107 wins, Luis Matos had such a good year uh, there in low A that he was kind of widely considered a he became a top 100 prospect guy, a guy who was, I think Fangraphs had him ranked like 38th or something. He was, there was conversation that he was a better prospect than Marco Luciano. And so he his stock was very much on the rise. And 
you know, a lot of contact strikeout rate was only 12.4%. He had three hurt three. He hit 313, 358 on base, 494 slugging. It was, it was a combination of power and speed, 15 homers, 21 steals. But then in 2022, he advances a level to high A. And by the way, he did all that at age 19. And then 2022, he goes to high A, and it just completely didn't happen for him. He hit 211, 275 on base, 344 slugging. It was about 25% below the league average there. 11 homers, 11 steals. Uh, didn't play the full season, so had some injuries. I don't actually remember exactly what those were, but you know the strikeout rate was still fine at 16%, but the walk rate just 6.6%. And so what they challenged him with was to become more disciplined with his like swing decisions. And basically not the problem I think that he had was that he he has such good like bat to ball skills as evidenced by these low strikeout rates that he was just kind of swinging at everything because he could like he could make contact he wasn't going to swing a miss and so but that's not what the Giants want and generally smart teams don't want their players doing that what they want them doing is kind of laying off junk and just swinging at the pitches that they can do damage on and it and damage doesn't have to mean like homers it just means like hitting the ball hard swing at the pitches that you can really hit whether it's you know a line drive whether it's a a homer or just a rocket that maybe finds a gap or something that those are the pitches they want you swinging at and so that's what's mostly behind his success this season because not only did he go back to high a I mean, he didn't go back to high A where he had struggled so much last year. They aggressively promoted him to double A. And, you know, jumping up a level, he got way better. And like I said, the the walk rate last year in a in a lower level was 6.6%. And then he goes to double A this year. The walk rate was 12.8%. So nearly doubles his walk rate cut his strikeout rate from 16% to 9% and hit 304, 398 on base, 443 slugging. And after 31 games, they they promoted him to AAA, where he's now, uh, the walk rate has come back down to only 6%. Uh, the strikeout rate has stayed low. It's even gone even lower than it was in AA to 7.2%. And so I think they probably want to see him get back to being selective at the plate but the just the numbers are so good that he's maybe he's just seeing pitches in the zone and he's just crushing them so he's done so well there and but you know the what was behind the success in double a that earned the promotion to triple a absolutely had to do with plate discipline and not chasing and therefore you know the walk numbers go up etc so that's what's behind it. And hopefully we see him soon. Although, you know, seeing him soon, maybe like there's not a lot of room in that outfield, like I said. And so it might have to be the result of an injury, which of course I'm not rooting for, but I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to see when we see him, when we see Kyle Harrison, etc. So that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day. Every day is tomorrow on the show, breaking down. Game one in Colorado. Hopefully the Giants just explode offensively. Denelson Lamette. Uh, I don't know how many innings he's pitched, but the ERA is like through the roof. I'm actually going to look it up right this second to give you a brief little preview. He's got a 13-17 ERA in 13 innings. 
Uh, the expected ERA is 3.91. And so, man, I don't know what happened there, but he's, uh, he's in that rotation. And, and this is a guy who was previously good. And so we'll see, but hopefully the Giants in their bullpen game, really, it's just John Brebbia acting as an opener for either Sean Manaya or Tristan Beck. Uh, that's what's coming up tonight. Giants play those Rockies tonight at 540 Pacific. Catch every pitch of the Giants hometown broadcast with Sirius XM on the SXM app. Search Giants. Once again, my name's Ben Kaspik. Check me out on Twitter at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. If you like this show, please consider rating it or leaving a review. It helps me out a lot. So thanks in advance. And thank you to everyone who's done so already. I can't wait to be with you again tomorrow. Thanks again for listening. You are now Locked on Giants.